0: Hello. Welcome to Episode 1 of The Big Stuff, brought to you by the Intermediary Network. If you are a listener of Down the Middle, a political podcast, the fastest-growing moderate political podcast in the nation, you may remember that we talked last week about how there are some issues that require too deep a dive to tackle in a single segment on one of our episodes. And while we are still reeling from the events of January 6th and the insurrection on our Capitol building, The world of politics does indeed keep spinning, and that requires us to examine other significant political and cultural issues that arise. On Thursday, January 7th, Facebook made the bold move of blocking President Trump's account at least until the end of his term. CEO Mark Zuckerberg released a statement that read, in part, We believe the risks of allowing the president to continue to use our service during this period are simply too great. On Friday, January 8th, Twitter followed suit and announced that the platform will permanently ban President Trump's account effective immediately. In the coming days, Reddit, Twitch, Shopify, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Discord, Pinterest, and several other social media platforms made the same or similar move and removed or suspended President Trump's account. But it didn't stop there. Google pulled the app Parler, a social media alternative that mainly appealed to conservatives and, unfortunately, far-right extremists. Google released a statement saying, in part, In order to protect user safety on Google Play, our long-standing policies require that apps displaying user-generated content have moderation policies and enforcement that removes egregious content like posts that incite violence. YouTube also released a statement, saying in part, due to the extraordinary events that transpired yesterday and given that the election results have been certified, any channel posting new videos with false claims to the contrary are in violation of our policies and will now receive a strike, a penalty which temporarily restricts uploading or live streaming. Channels that receive three strikes in the same 90-day period will be permanently removed from YouTube. Finally. Apple threatened to remove Parler from its App Store if Parler didn't lay out a plan to moderate their content. When that plan never came, Apple officially suspended Parler from the App Store, citing concerns over threats of violence and inadequate content moderation. So, we have a panel with us today to help us dive into this issue, go over surrounding details, separate fact from fiction and have a discussion about how it affects our society, our safety, our politics, and our culture. Justin, why don't you introduce the panel? Okay, to
1: my left. Just kidding, guys, calm down, we're not in person. Yeesh, people, so (laughs) sensitive. All right, first, we have the Editor-in-Chief of the Intermediary Network, Clay Cogman. What can I say, Editor-in-Chief, family man, an attorney and mediator at one of the top alternative dispute resolution providers in the nation, with a focus on high-profile, complex commercial disputes, which makes him uniquely qualified for a show such as this. Clay also happens to be a former member of the band Clay's Brothers Band, fronted by friend of the pod and musician Mark M. Cogman. We love him. Please welcome Mr. Clay Cogman. Say hello, Clay.
2: Hi, everybody. I love the the CBB reference. That's great.
1: Now, we're going to have a rotating chair of special guests when we do an episode of The Big Stuff. Our special guest for this first show, representing all women on the right everywhere, is none other than the love of my life, my wife, Tiffany Marie Brandon-Siegel. Aside from being the luckiest lady I know, Tiffany comes to us extremely qualified for our discussion tonight. She has worked in social media marketing for six years and also has had a great deal of experience with the RNC and in Arizona conservative politics, having worked for Senators Romney and McCain and State Treasurer Jeff DeWitt. She is also a graduate of Pepperdine Law with a master's degree in dispute resolution, received her MLIT from St. Andrews in Scotland, and holds the record for attending the greatest number of abroad programs while attending Pepperdine, and the largest number of consecutive days having to put up with me. She can often be found on Facebook, arguing with Rob. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. Hey, guys. With me, as always, is my esteemed co-host of Down the Middle, a political podcast, your favorite liberal against leftism, Mr. Rob Leifer, guitar player and political pundit extraordinaire, I am, of course, Justin Siegel, the soft-spoken Justin Siegel, for those who listen to episode 26 of the pod, co-host of Down the Middle, a political podcast, professor of buzzed history, student of theology, and a guy that is extremely excited for this, our first episode of The Big Stuff. Let's get right into it. Clay, we will start with you. When all of this happened, the right cried censorship, and the left felt that this was justified. Where do you fall on all of this?
2: If you're talking about some of the more high-profile bands uh certainly the soon to be former president i think it made sense what they did but i think if you want me to boil it down to a few words i'd say we're in rather extreme times and uh extreme times often call for extreme measures i do think it's important to talk about these things and to really hash them out because if we indulge the idea that uh things like this are a slippery slope and lord where does it end then you know well, the way it ends is that concerned citizens make a stink when they have a problem with something. And so um, I'm not like so far to the left on this where I think it ridiculous that the right would even cry foul, but I think ultimately uh, the tech companies were right to do what they did. And I'm interested to talk more about it with everyone here. Tiffany,
1: I'm guessing you have a different spin.
3: I think you might be surprised. They're private companies and private companies have right to do whatever they want. If someone's an annoying customer in my restaurant and I want to kick them out, I have the right to do that. I also have the right to enforce a dress code um, in the same way that there are specific violations and policies that these people commit to when they're on these people's platforms. The difference is we're living in an age where these platforms have become something other than just social networking. It's where we're disseminating information. It's where we're getting news from. And it's become almost the publication of a sort in the terms of reading these articles and listening to people's expertise I mean, President Trump himself was uh, in the Second Court, Circuit Court of Appeals, and lost a case of the First Amendment due to his Twitter account because they someone had sued him for blocking them. And because it, they sued him personally, he lost the case. And the loophole is by not suing Twitter, they were able to do that. So I think-
0: That's Section 230 you're talking about.
3: Yes. And I think that it's- more nuanced. I think that we're in a new age where what was working before isn't working now. And with Section 230 and with FOSTA and SESTA, that's introduced some, some serious, new, dangerous kind of waters for these companies that no one knows how to navigate.
0: Well, you know, I will say that I, when it happens, I was very happy, as I talked about on the pod. Um, I did believe that the Insurrection at the Capitol was directly caused by uh, President Trump and his rhetoric. So I was very much happy to see him get booted. Not to mention the fact that uh, my life is happier without him tweeting. Because you know I don't have to look at at his feed all the time. Which is like you know it's kind of like a car accident. You can't you can't not look at it. You know when you when you're passing by, it's just you open Twitter and there it is, right? But I immediately called Clay for a legal opinion because I was very conflicted about, you know, I am a a free market capitalist, proud free market capitalist. So I was, uh, you know, I am very much like Tiffany said, uh, I support private companies being able to do we're all, I think we're all on the same page. All four of us are on the same page for that sure. we don't want the government dictating what private companies can do. Mm-hmm. So when the censorship issue came up, and this was really nothing new. I mean, listen, I listened to enough right-wing commentators to know they've been moaning and groaning about uh, big tech censorship for years. I mean, literally years and years and years. Like yeah, Before people actually started getting booted. Yeah, before Obama, they were talking about
1: it. Yeah, they felt that people were shadow blocking. There was all kinds of different uh, hidden
0: algorithms that they were claiming to have existed. That happens when you have an industry that is overwhelmingly perceived to be liberal or run by liberals.
2: Well, In the early days, it was also the Wild West. I mean, no one knew what they were doing.
0: Sure, that's true what what clay and i have talked about we talked about this recently is that silicon valley companies those tech companies they're guided by profits like every other company as every company should be that's what that's what makes capitalism the great unifier in all of this is that When you're guided by profits, it's just about profits, right? And so I've never been convinced that there is an overwhelming sort of liberal sentiment in Silicon Valley. I think those guys are like any other business. They will do whatever they have to do to make money. If the cultural winds are shifting towards... Liberalism or leftism, they're going to shift that way because they're going to make more money. It has nothing to do with their personal ideology. It's important to note that
1: uh, when you have a company with a board, that's expressly so because the, the, the chairman or CEO is then pressured by the board to produce profits or they can get ousted. So that right. does exist um, in certain corporations that do that have that structure.
0: Right, right. And I was going to say, like, I mean, to sort of button this up, I had called Clay and wanted to talk to him about this because there was something in me that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable about yeah. the fact that these companies do have so much sway over the information we consume. And while they're, pro- I-, I was conflicted between my love of less government intervention into private industry and my love of the first amendment because I've said even on the show the first amendment is my favorite amendment it's my favorite part of the constitution right um and I'm I'm a free speech nut so I do get a little bit worried when there is anything to to that that is going to impede free speech and there's a fine line to draw and clay had to sort of talk me down a little bit off uh, of this because I, I, I maybe was freaking out a little bit too much, so Clay, you know, no, you'd ne- you'd never do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a real reactionary sometimes. And this had just happened. So, you know, you're emotional when the first, when it happens again, it was a very weird mix of emotions because I'm thinking, man, I'm so happy that this guy got booted. It, it's what he deserved. But then as more things started happening yeah. and I started, you know, I have plenty of right wing friends who started like. Twitter is uh, taking off all my content when I said the election, the, you know, everything that people had written about the election being stolen was slowly disappearing, according to all of my friends that you know, a lot of my high school friends that are on the right. Right. They were claiming that. And I'm like, yeah, that makes me feel a little weird, even though they're stupid and they're wrong to post that. Like, I could call you an idiot for that, but I'm not sure There should be uh, someone going in there. Right. You'll fight for my
1: right to post something idiotic. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Clay, am I saying this right? You just touched on a lot of topics, and so I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll just pick one. Getting to the slippery slope scary issue. I do think I talked of you off the ledge a little bit because I just think that in our system especially, and again, as I said at the top, having voices that are wary is important. Like, I yell at you because you're my friend. But, like, you know, it's, it's, this is, this is not a frivolous conversation. You know, we should be, we should be hashing this out and concerned citizens should be making noise about it because that lets the power, the the powers that be, both private and governmental, know that, you know, look, the people are, are concerned.
1: Um, Call your senator.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Call your senator, whatever it is, you know. But I think that ultimately, Oh, and I should also say, I'm going to count the number of times people on this show say First Amendment, because this has nothing to do with the First Amendment.
1: Now, can you can, can we pause right there for a second? Because I think that's a very, very important clarification to yeah. make. The First Amendment covers uh, associations with the government, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Correct. It's only government.
1: This is a moral imperative. Yeah. This is not a
0: legal imperative. Is that correct? Yeah. I was going to say that I eventually landed on the fact that this was a good thing because it was ultimately for safety and that the First Amendment really didn't apply here.
3: Well, and what's interesting is that Twitter, as far as capitalism goes, actually is going to take a hit massively in their financials because, well, we've already seen their stocks drop. We've already seen their value go down. Not only that, but working in social media A lot of people are like, oh, how's my Twitter doing? And for the last five years, I can tell you everyone's numbers have been dwindling like crazy. They were already kind of a a dying horse. Mm -hmm. Trump kept them afloat financially, really, the last five years, I'd say, since he was announcing he's running. So in terms of free market capitalism and economy as a business decision, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen in the future, because this is not a good financial decision for them.
1: Now there's there's a parlor issue when you have the right pushing everyone to parlor. And and like you've you've said on the pod, we're going to be wearing conservative shoes soon.
0: Right, right. Yeah, listen, when I saw their stock dropping, I was happy about that because that's the free market at work, you know? And and I'm, you you know, yeah. Uh, I think companies, again, (laughs) and I think, Clay, I think you even said this exact thing when we were talking. It's why uh, capitalism slows these kind of things down because- What ends up happening is all you I think that's exactly what you said, because I stand by it once every every single free market enterprise is guided by profits. As we already said, once those profits start, once they start losing money, then they start rethinking their policies. So the idea, the slippery slope argument and the sort of hyperbole that's coming from the from the right now that they are being censored. Is just that. It's hyperbole. And I just don't. Even today, we saw a walk back from Jack at Twitter saying that he doesn't like this and he doesn't think it was a good thing. He literally did it for reasons. He didn't really explain the reasons. I think my hunch is that he, they have information that we don't have. Which I, I think is the only
1: way that this, is, this, this should be allowed. I don't need the information but I want to know that it's coming from a government source that knows something that, that I don't whether that's right. FBI you know someone in that realm I don't think that the companies themselves should be in charge of uh of where the line is I right. think that it should be drawn by uh if it's going to be drawn at all if it's going to be based on security information that we that we get from sources like the FBI
2: but you understand that that's a more oppressive regime and a more scary regime for the slippery slope than the notion right. that Jack Dorsey gets to do whatever he wants to do
1: if it's for safety it's it's a little bit different than if it's just for whatever reason Jack dorsey decides
2: the the, the notion the notion that government regulation of any kind of a business
1: I'm not talking about regulation. I'm talking about an extraordinary circumstance
2: yeah J- Justin's talking about if the FBI intervening intervening because of safety is government regulation yes yeah, it is but it is okay.
3: The answer everyone seems to be coming up with, like the ACLU said, they understood the decision, but that it should concern everyone when huge companies like Facebook and Twitter wield unchecked power to remove people from platforms that have become indispensable for the speech of billions. And what they did actually a few years ago is try to come up with a solution that didn't have a direct government intervention. And they came up with what they call the Santa Clara principles of transparency and accountability in content moderation, which is kind of a good compromise, right? Because they broke it down into three main points numbers if jack is gonna ban or remove posts and accounts then whether permanently or temporarily due to violations that should be those numbers should be released notice they should provide clear notice whether your content or profile has been suspended and why and how it violated their their rules and appeal which is to provide a meaningful opportunity for a timely appeal of any content removal or account suspension. So, stuff like that, stuff like releasing the algorithm of what gets flagged and why, that's been a big push. Dennis Prager was talking about it the other day, actually.
2: But that's proprietary information, though. No one's going to give that up, and nor should they. I mean, it doesn't have to be the algorithm itself, it could be how they get to that formula. Yeah, a set of guidelines makes sense to me. You had me on the Santa Clara compromise until the appeal, right? Why? Because that is more an intrusion into governance than just transparency in why a decision is made.
1: You mean the ability to appeal it?
2: The requirement mm. of an appellate appellate division, an appellate forum, you know, whatever it is, you know, that's that's actually entering into you, private firm, you have to take an affirmative governance action. Whereas transparency is certainly a, a part of governance, but that's a little more it's a little more passive. It's just giving people a little bit of peace of mind and trying to understand things a little bit better. And that is more of a greater good thing. People understand what are we going to you know, do that's gonna get us kicked off. That way they can moderate their behavior in certain ways if they so choose, or they can take the consequences. Once you get to the appeal rate, now you're talking about forcing a company to incur costs and all kinds of things, and you know, there's not a CEO in the country that would agree to that.
3: I mean, Instagram already does that if you vi- if you report a post for no, I understand. I'm
2: talking about under pressure from someone to say you have to do this now because of X, y z, like I mean that's just you I mean people don't like to be told how to run their business,
0: yeah, Dennis Prager's been complaining about he's been on that soapbox for literally years since before Trump was in. I've listened to him for eight yeah. years. um he's been talking about how social media algorithms favored the left or and they that that right wing content got systemically marginalized which is always belied by the facts when when facebook actually puts out their most engaged uh hits every single week it is always especially since trump came on the scene a mix of donald trump dan bongino and ben shapiro like literally every single week so and fox news and fox news right um right wing content is has exploded on um social media it's one of the reasons you got trump for me it's always like what the hell are you guys complaining about with the social media thing you are doing great on social media who cares if some executive at twitter is liberal
3: have you gone on reddit recently
0: i i never go on reddit it's one of those platforms i I don't think i've ever even been on it once
3: so i think i think an issue you see with people claiming that conservatives are being attacked far more than liberals on social media is. So Reddit, if you go right now and you search Republican or Trump, mm. zero followers, zero threads. Mm. Meanwhile, and any conservative thread that has existed on Reddit is now gone.
0: Any conservative thread? What do you mean by that? Like what classifies? As I a, mean,
3: a th- all like, like you look GOP up, you look Republican, you look Trump. And under it, the, the search results that do appear are... You know, f Trump, f Republicans. Republicans, I hate. What could be classified as hate speech are on these threads.
1: So the conversations
0: were removed, or they they don't exist
1: because the threads the...
3: were completely removed.
0: Okay, and that was after that was recently.
3: That's happened this week,
0: right? Okay, I don't know anything about the Reddit thing. I haven't read about it. Um, I haven't heard about that. What I I'll tell you what does bother me is <laughs> Alexei Navalny is that guy that Putin poisoned. Mm-hmm. Did you hear this story? Like on the plane, he was like moaning yeah. and groaning on the plane. They yeah. had to take him out of the plane. So he survived. He's, he's, a, he's a Russian dissident. You know, he's a outspoken Putin critic. And Putin, apparently, he's tried to kill him like six or seven times, right? So he he put out a statement and said, I think that the ban of Donald Trump on Twitter is an unacceptable act of censorship. Don't tell me he was banned for violating Twitter rules. I get death threats here every day for many years, and Twitter doesn't ban anyone. Among the people who have Twitter accounts are cold-blooded murderers, Putin and Maduro. Putin has a Twitter account, right? And liars and thieves. For many years, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram have been used as a base for Putin's troll factory and similar groups uh, from other uh, authoritarian countries. So when I read that, this what I it, that didn't dismiss everything I thought about Trump. Not I still think Trump should have been booted. But the immediate thing that ran through my head is Twitter has to do a better job at defining what the standards are here. Because pretty, if Vladimir agree. Putin has a, a active Twitter
2: account, something is not right there. I mean, Clay, do you agree with that? It's the same reason they didn't ban Trump for four years, though, is that when it comes to a political figure, yeah. I think that that triggers different considerations and Putin for all the things we think we know about him the guy's the president of the country.
3: The difference is that these people are actually killing other human beings. Like they're not tweeting and being idiots online. They are literally responsible for murdering other people with their hands.
2: You're not applying the standard. If someone if someone is murdered or suspected of murdering somebody, you know, in their garage, they didn't do that on Twitter. Yeah.
1: Right. But let's, let's use the standard, Clay, because there are instances that I'm, I'm hoping to delve into on the pod or maybe even later in the show of uh, America using American intelligence, using social media and Twitter to uh, unseat uh, people in power in smaller third world countries. Uh, it was utilized in Arab Spring. There were a lot of times prior to the insurrection at the Capitol where Twitter was utilized in a similar way, just not in this country. Yeah. Where no standard was set, and and so it's interesting that this is where they laid down the line. When historically it's been used like this by governments before.
2: See, that's not that interesting to me because this is home. This, this is where right. it's from. This is, I mean, our capital was breached. I mean, it's right. A big sure, deal. but it, it's still a,
1: u- utilized as a tool in that way. It's either it's, of course. It, it's either something bad or something good
0: yeah but i I think we have to remember that Trump wasn't booted because he's Donald Trump uh who tweets silly stuff and be- yeah, mean yeah. stuff. He was booted because it was an action it was- per- it, it, yes it, well no, and also it was widely perceived by and I think by intelligence that we aren't privy to, that his words were inciting incredible amounts of organization for intended violence. And that is something that has to be tamped down by any responsible government. And that's why I'm not convinced that, you know, a lot of a lot of right wing commentators were saying uh, this was a, a coordinated attack on the right by all these social media companies that Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and all these guys got called to each other on like a conference call and said, let's just do it. Let's ban them. I don't think that's what happened. And we don't really know. You know, the, the problem with this conversation is that we don't have all the facts. But my hunch is that they had uh, intelligence that was, because we're hearing it now on TV. If you had CNN or Fox News on today, they've been running Chirons all day about how the FBI is warning of, you know, hundreds of organized and, uh, you know, armed protests that are going to happen over the next week or two. So that's that's a scary thing, and I think the social media companies play a very large role in the organization of all that stuff.
2: Yeah, and I'm and I'm not suggesting that they're all so in control and applying things consistently and evenly that you know don't worry, guys, everything's going to go back to normal. I understand the the idea that this could be something that is looked to the next time someone on the left or the right, you know, times change you know, just want, want someone to not be heard anymore. But we just, I, I, I think that, and I, I'm, I don't mean to like, I'm not throwing stones at people. I'm just saying in general, you know, I think that people kind of were really horrified last Wednesday and then a day goes by and other shit happens and we have to move on and people just sort of forgot what a big flipping deal this was. Like, these are not normal times. This is a, it was, we, our government came close to effective destruction and they were egged on for weeks and then on site by the chief executive of the country. Like, this is a, this is a massive, massive problem. And so when you consider, I almost think of it as like this is a gap period. We have the gap period between what is apparently now a day that will live in infamy, the day the, votes are tallied from the election, which used to not be a controversial thing, and then the inauguration. And so if someone's telling me, you know, we're going to unofficially empower, although, as we can argue about if you want to, Jack Dorsey's always empowered to do what he wants to do with his company, but if someone's asking me, am I okay and not going to raise a stink empowering Jack Dorsey in the next two weeks to ensure that the assault on the Capitol is the end and not the beginning and that something much more coordinated and larger and more psychotic doesn't happen when the actual next president is getting sworn in like you know life is a cost-benefit analysis i know i know where i'm coming down on that on that analysis yeah i I don't
1: think we're here to litigate the triage as as it is and we can but i you know and we can talk about that but really it's more about what happens once inauguration day is passed the threat is avoided, and you know, they did what they needed to do in order to, to get past it, then what happens? What is the standard set? Do things just go back to the way that they are? I, I, doubt, I doubt that that's going to happen. You know, w- what does it mean going forward for people who um, are on the right and have these ideas and are thought leaders, and you know, where is that consideration for what is considered dangerous for in the f- going in the future?
2: In a crazy sign of the times, I'm going to say something, and y'all are going to be like, What? You know? So, you know who's doing us a big favor in this regard is Lord Voldemort himself, Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's four years to flipping late, but right. he's getting on the mic and saying, Hey guys, we can have our party back.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. We yeah. Can, yeah. We can, re-
2: we can, we can resign the people who rush the capital into the trash bin that they belong right and yeah, yeah. they will no longer be identified with us we can yeah. separate ourselves if we separate ourselves from donald trump if the party's smart enough to take the i don't think they're smart enough to take it you know he's if he if he succeeds and they impeach and remove the guy and he can't come back in 2024 then that's going to do more to get us well in our way to yeah Normalcy, or whatever term you use, but I, mean, I agree. Knows, but, but what I does that mean
1: for the social media companies themselves? These guys who now are have been empowered to make these decisions in a time of crisis, and I think we're agreeing on a level that they're allowed to do that. But what happens afterwards? Do they still feel empowered to continue down that road, and is that standard removed because the crisis is over, or does it continue?
3: And this is where I think you can look to the EU and Europe and see how they've really gone down a path. With all this, with censorship.
0: Well, uh, it's funny you say that, Tiff. Let me interject while we're on the topic of the EU, because the only other quote I wanted to read was Angela Merkel. I just thought this, yeah, the Angela yeah. Merkel quote, where she said uh, she blasted Twitter's decision to ban the US President Donald Trump. She said the right to freedom of opinion is of fundamental importance. Um, and I just thought we're taking. That kind of advice from the Germans now, okay. like, you know that that was just well, bizarre have, to me. But she doesn't have, have
2: more censorship
0: than we do from the of state. Of course they do. Of course so, they do. That's the why I thought you? it. Was, that's why I yeah. thought it was weird. Backing up for a second though, while we're talking about optics, you know, everyone on this show here knows how dangerous I believe Donald Trump to be and have for the last five years. Right? I knew it was going to culminate in this. But with that said, I sort of had a. Um, I guess because I'm a political commentator now, if you will, and we have our podcast, I'm always thinking about how things look politically. Because politics is about optics. I think it's probably 70% optics, right? So when this whole thing went down, um, meaning the insurrection, it really did feel like we finally had Republicans in Congress with their tail between their legs. Like they seemed contrite for a day. Only or half so. of them. Only half of them, right, but the the important ones. But even the commentators, the talking heads, I mean, Laura Ingram, who has, who, I mean, there's no more Trump sycophant than her. She did a whole thing about how Trump should go to the inauguration, he should drop this. She did a whole monologue about it. And I'm like, man, these, these people are contrite. And then all of a sudden, we get this internet thing, which yeah. allowed them- Pivoted everybody. To pivot yeah. completely off this and go to how crazy the left wing social media come. And I just thought to myself, man, that looks terrible. Why would they do that? And the first person I talked to about it was not you, Clay, but your brother. And your brother said, this is why I hate political commentating and that whole scene, because you're always worried about what the narrative is rather than what is is the actual important thing to do in that moment. And I was like, you're right, you're right, I am. I do think about narrative because I know that is of utmost political importance in today's day and
2: age you're presuming that after a day they wouldn't have found some other reason to go back into the fold to pivot. Like, yeah. This wasn't, this wasn't a situation where Laura Ingram was going to see the light.
0: Right. Okay. But, yeah. Laura
2: Ingram's got her brand. She would have found yeah, something maybe, but you know, so then the second
0: call I had with you, Clay, um, cause we had two calls about this. Was when which I thought the- were confidential,
2: but <laughs> <laughs> apparently not. No, not um, really. no,
0: the, the second call was in regard to when the parlor thing happens. Because once the Apple, once Apple panned parlor or banned parlor rather, once Apple banned parlor, then I started to think okay, well, if the gatekeepers are shutting down avenues of, of, Freedom of expression, even if it's really bad expression, I don't know how that sits well in my stomach either. Yeah, and a- a- Clay,
1: Amazon Amazon also took their
0: back end out from them. yeah They were not allowed to use AWS. Yes. What Clay said, and I, I don't know if this is going to be his position right now, but what he said at the moment was that um there's nothing stopping anyone on the right for building their own infrastructure. You know? Why why haven't they? Why haven't they, why don't they have their own Silicon Valley, frankly? Well, it's bad for the country for starters.
3: Yeah, first of all, there's no way to access the Parler platform at all right now. And what else is interesting is that as of the most recent stuff I've read, there was no meaningful accounting of the threatening content that led to their deplatforming. Which was the reason why they said they're getting kicked off of all these platforms. There's no evidence that they've been showing.
1: Well, hopefully, we we have some accountability at some point, even if it's even if it's information, we can't that can't be shared.
3: One thing that I just want everyone to kind of keep in the back of their minds is like with the whole stop the steal, right? There very well may have been absolutely no voter fraud in this election, but in a hypothetical universe, like what if that wasn't the case? And Big tech is like, okay, we're on the people side. We're on the side of, you know, diminishing all the crazy and acts of sedition. But what if this was a different world? What if what if we were trending more towards China and we actually had a fraudulent election and the only voices of like reason and truth out there was systemically deleted from existence by a powerful few? What if what if we were in another country? How would we still feel about this?
0: It's not the untruth itself that is dangerous, it's the fact that like in and of itself. Just telling people tell lies all the time, it's the weaponization of 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 Correct. what it's you know the violence people...
1: associated with it. It's not right. the thing themselves and and even if they do come with a little sticker pointing you in the right direction, we can litigate that in a minute if we want to. There these things were not taken off until they were violent acts. I think that's the point.
0: Yeah, that that's that's what happened exactly. There there was nobody trying to take down stop the steel material before the insurrection on January sixth. And then I think it became abundantly clear that this was a much worse situation than we than any of us realized. Well I'd even
2: say are they probably blunderbussing a little bit? Are they probably being a little overzealous in some of this? Could be. Who oh they mean they meaning the social media companies. Yeah. yeah, right. You know, sure, could be. Mm you know right probably probably not tightening up their algorithms right now because Mm -hmm. they're taking the mindset which again i think makes sense given with the 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 impending inauguration that they'd rather be safe than sorry
1: yeah I, i just hope that we do see an accounting one day of exactly how they made the decisions they did and with what information they made it so that we can make sure because it's you know it's it should be within the the market's right to check the companies that they're either investing yeah. in or or being a, becoming a part of
2: right right is the word word where, where i part ways like, oh, yeah, we'd, because like it to, implies we'd like legal. to be yeah yeah, we, yeah we'd like to know I'll give but that. we have no right
3: to know what i was trying to say is that the slippery slope that you were mentioning before is real and there needs to be something put in place or something um whether it's transparency or I don't know, rules or ways that we approach things to make sure that no matter who's in power and no matter who the dissenting voice is, that people do have a place to go to dissent.
2: So I I think that's, I think that's correct. But the thing is, and this, this gets back to the question Rob asked me a while ago, and that, you know, I, I just think that the thing that is important to remember, and this is what drives kind of my whole view on this, is that there is no situation where government regulation of a business with respect to speech is less oppressive or socialist or fascist, whatever you want to say, than allowing a private business to do what it wishes to do re speech, right. even if you
0: think that private business is acting communistically,
2: there is just no plausible, reasonable argument for the notion that it is somehow more oppressive for private companies to do it than the government doing it to you. And I mean the re- the re- the reasons obvious, I suppose, but I mean it's that. If Google is a dominant market presence, putting aside that they may have gotten there through violating antitrust laws, and I want to talk about that, um, <laughs> but like they're there because it's the choice of the people. Like they weren't they weren't born on third base because you know they they weren't. They, I mean the market does what it did. The, the second a scorned conservative wants to use Bing to find the best Chinese. There's literally nothing stopping them from doing it. And even some of, the, some of the stories about, you know, they're always blown out of proportion, you know, even with, the, with, like, the Federalist thing last summer. It's like, the second the Federalist wants to use a different web content monetization company other than Google AdSense, there is exactly nothing stopping them from doing so. Do you guys know how many players there are in that market? I don't. Decent amount, I'm guessing. 22, including AdSense. 22. But we have to deal with human pimple Ted Cruz running around talking about how, like, they've been completely censored. No, they've had one of 22 options taken away from them. The second a conservative decides they're done with Twitter, they can switch over to Gab. There's exactly nothing stopping them. And the Gab thing is instructive, even on the slippery slope thing, because Gab started in 2016. It has been banned or restricted since then by Apple, Google, Amazon, Stripe, PayPal, and GoDaddy at various times. And yet here we are! They have still survived this whole time and because of Parler's recent trouble, they claim they're gaining, what was it, something like 10,000 new users an hour or something. So in the marketplace, in the marketplace, there's not, you know, you've said this before. I think you stole this from Shapiro, but it's like in the marketplace, there's not the point of a gun at the end of the policy Google is enforcing. So it, it, it will just it will just never be as oppressive as government intervention. So. When I hear things like, well, we need to ensure there's a place to dissent or I need to we need to have rules to do this. I'm just like, I just that 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 to me is a much more slippery slope.
3: And maybe it's because I lived in China, honestly, because living in China totally twisted my view on a lot of things because I felt I've never felt more oppressed and had less of a voice.
2: That's because everything's controlled by the government.
0: Yes. But this is also, Tiff, this, Justin and I talk about this on the pod, I think you have fallen into, your ideology has fallen into more of this newfangled populist conservative because the new conservative, the nuevo conservative, <laughs> I guess you could say, is uh, uh, more into government intervention when it is perceived that conservatives are at the butt of Um, discrimination so you have people like tucker carlson who are very very into the idea of government stepping in when they have to into private industry which was never a conservative ideal right in order to like you know he'll use the example of stopping certain technologies that are uh displacing conservative america in middle america Mm -hmm.
1: yeah we talked about this with on
0: the pod with globalization and automation both yeah right um that is a a new that is a left-wing perspective frankly that has infiltrated into the right because the bottom line here is when people feel like they're being oppressed or they're uh they're being discriminated against in some way all of a sudden they want help and the government is there to help. And that, that, that goes for both the left and the right.
3: I completely understand what you're saying. I would disagree with you purely on the fact that for me, this is a very internet specific issue. I love that Reagan quote, which is, I forget how it goes exactly what it's like. The most terrifying phrase in the English language is we're from the government and we're here yeah, to help. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I
3: really feel that way. I really believe that sentiment and ideology. Justice Kennedy, when he retired, there's a quote that I feel like kind of sums up where I'm going. And he says While we now may be coming to the realization that the cyber age is a revolution of historic proportions, we cannot appreciate yet its full dimensions and vast potential to alter how we think, express ourselves, and define who we want to be. The forces and directions of the internet are so new, so protean, and so far reaching that courts must be conscious that what they say today might be obsolete tomorrow. And I think that that's kind of where I'm going, is it's not that I want the government to come intervene with everything, it's that the internet is so different than what it was 20 years ago, and things like social media platforms have evolved into things we never could have imagined, to where we don't know what's going to happen five years from now. We don't know how much of ourselves are now, I mean, people are living their lives out in avatar forms online.
0: Well, here, here's my recommendation for that. The Koch brothers of the world and the Sheldon Adelson's of the world and the Who few just died, last. So, the f- yes, sorry. I know. R.I.P. Re- R.I.P. <laughs> R. Um, the, the few the, the few the few last remaining conservative rich donors, frankly, most of them are on the Democratic side now, but, but the few last remaining ones, instead of giving money to support conspiracy theory media channels that. That, that spew nonsense 24-7. Why don't they build their own infrastructure to give you guys your own social media platforms and everything? What, maybe they should start investing in that.
1: I really do yeah. hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's James. really bad for the country it's to really no, separate. You know. Of course. I mean, I agree. That's that's yeah. the, the that's the conclusion one would draw. See,
3: I had a really interesting conversation with a friend of mine recently, like this week. He is a you know very liberal guy. We've been friends for years and years. But he posted something saying like, If you voted for Trump, we're not friends, defriend me. I don't want anything to do with you. But if anything I think it's so important to have those conversations. I mean, Clay, you work in mediation. I work in mediation. If we're not reaching across the aisle and seeing how we can make the pie bigger and seeing how we can learn from each other and communicate, this country is going to vote for someone, if not Trump, someone like Trump and again in four years, and that's only going to further fragment us. We need to be actively having these conversations and not separating ourselves into silos. So while that might be, you know, maybe a practical solution it would only destroy us more as a country.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that in, in spirit. I mean, this could just be a question of verbiage. You know, I gathered before we went offline that I use a lot of words that you don't tend to use, you know. But, I mean, I don't, I didn't, I have never gone on social media and said, you know, unfriend me if you're for Trump or like, you know, <laughs> something, something like this or like. And I also agree that we need to have conversations. I agree that we have to... uh You know, not say things like we should kill Republicans. This is all stupid. But I mean, the last four years were a goddamn disaster, and I don't want that to happen again. And so, you don't do it in a way suggesting violence, and you don't do it in a way suggesting your thoughts don't matter. But like, I think we also have to be honest about things, and we have to be honest about like, this happened because of the elected leader of a particular party. And so, we can't just now when we're picking up the pieces, say like, gosh, guys, I think we should all go get a cup of coffee. Like people have to be held accountable. Yeah. Agree. Right, but, but we right. have to
1: get off the seesaw. We have to get off of the, I'm outraged. Now you're outraged. Now I'm outraged. And that, that seesaw has to stop
2: absolutely this is not the time to get off the
0: season (laughs) i disagree with you i disagree with you there see i don't know i'm on the fence about that because what conservatives are doing now is really acting in bad faith ben shapiro had a whole column today in politico where the whole the, the crux of the whole thing was basically like we didn't know this was gonna happen and where every liberal is sort of like Are you serious? You didn't know that we've been warning you this was going to happen for five straight years. So don't treat
2: us like we're idiots now. Every time he said something crazy and violent to his many followers, it was look at the liberal crazy people taking him Mm. seriously. Look what happened
0: At, at his rally in 2015 when he was running. He some guy was was protesting. There was like a protest guy there and he was like, back in my day they would have taken him out on a stretcher. That's when I knew. I'm like, this guy is going to incite violence. There's just no doubt about how it. How is that
3: any different than Biden saying he wanted to take Trump behind the barn and beat him?
0: I'll tell you how it's different, Tiff. I'll tell you how it's different right now. It's different because because in a lot of ways, but here's the big way, okay? When there were the protests over the summer that everyone was using as the false equivalents to this and rioting and looting. How many Biden flags did you see there? In fact, how many flags did you see for anyone in the Democratic caucus? I mean, not one, but at the rally in, in D.C. that led to the insurrection, how many Trump flags did you see? Trump himself incites violence. Biden doesn't. It's just a different thing. There, there's no nobody. Not, there's literally not a single person in the world who has a Biden flag. Not one.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I kind of want to see one got, now, <laughs> though, <don't> you? <laughs>
2: Yeah, you could probably fact check that in, in thirty seconds. But you know, it's pretty, the it's point, pretty the funny. The point to think is about, hopefully yeah. taken. Right.
0: Yeah. I, it, it goes back to the whole rally thing. Like uh, the some of the dumber pundits were like. Biden couldn't have won. Have you seen his rallies? And I'm sort of like, I think I said this on the show, like, I would rather do any, I'd rather go to the dentist than a Biden rally. And I voted for Hey, my for dad's
3: him. a dentist.
0: Like, well, there you go. I'd rather, I'd rather get not a root canal, but like a routine cleaning than, <laughs> than, 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 than go to a Biden where I could listen to some old octogenarian talk about bringing the country together. That's not why people vote sometimes. So Biden is not, but beyond that, the it's a false equivalence because Trump over and over again was inciting violence, was pitting each other against each other. Go ahead, Clay.
2: This dovetails into, I think, any talk of the censorship issue, which we're supposed mm-hmm. to be talking about. Yeah, you I know, was going
0: to
1: say. We'll did, I just back think, home.
2: The, re- and the reason I, the, 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 my, my segue into the attack on the Republican Party of the last four years, and by the way, I should say for the people who don't know, and Tiffany, I assume, doesn't know this, like, the first Democrat I ever voted for in my life for the presidency was Joe Biden a month ago. So, like, I, I'm not going to be labeled as some leftist who had it out for Trump. from. Well, I had it out for Trump from the beginning because, you know, he's a psychopath without all his faculties. The, I think that this, it's important for the topic of this discussion because I think that you could very easily scrub the Internet. And I, like Rob, I don't know a thing about Reddit. I, I literally, I barely know what it is. You know, uh, you, you could find all kinds of things on the internet where you're you're seeing disparate treatment, perhaps, between conservative posts and Democratic posts. Not in the ways that guys like Dennis Prager say. You know, I got stats on that. But, like, you could, you could probably find that. And, I, like I said before, I'll even say, some of this stuff is kind of blunderbussing, and they shouldn't be doing it. They should be tightening it up. But, like, the modern conservatives, are being targeted because they act differently. The modern Republican Party, as compared to the modern Democratic Party, they're the ones who traffic more often in hate speech. They're the ones who elected a guy who told people to storm the Capitol. They're the ones who stood with white supremacists in Charlottesville. Like, the Republican Party has to own that. So if you if you traffic in that kind of talk and you traffic in inciting people then look at the terms of service. Look at Section 230. This is exactly the type of stuff that we're supposed to be targeting and that 230 was meant to empower companies to target in being left on their own to police their own content. So like, you know, when, when Barack Obama gets on the microphone and starts telling people to break into suburban Arkansas homes and terrorize people, Twitter's going to do something about it. I promise you.
1: Let me bring something up because Twitter was used Right. Not nearly as widely as it's being used now or was used in the insurrection per se. But Twitter was used in the riots of the summer in order to pinpoint places to go, places to organize statues to destroy. Some of these were protests, but some of these were organized riots in that someone said, hey, we're hitting this statue at this place or we're hitting this shoe store at this place. It was utilized. To pinpoint locations to riot or steal or commit crimes, and we didn't see any of this then, so you know that's that's something I think that needs to be discussed and brought up that isn't really widely reported.
2: Well, I believe I believe that it was probably used for things. I also don't know, and I mean, I suppose we can fact check this. I don't know to a certainty that nobody was banned for organizing any riots over the summer. Right.
0: It definitely
3: wasn't publicized.
0: Now, Clay and I already talked about how, and we could all agree here, that anyone who poo pooed the rioting over the summer or patted those rioters on the head and were like, oh, okay, we condemn those as strongly as we do anything else, right? Violence is violence, right? But the difference is, and I've made this point a million times on the pod, that those riots and looting was the people who were doing the the bad stuff were not registered democrats no matter how much people want to make them out to be they're not they're not liberals completely i'm not arguing that i'm i'm simply arguing the use of twitter
1: as a means to organize a violent crime that's all i'm saying and if that's going to be our line let's have that be our consistent line
2: it the, the difference is that it comes from the leadership in this case it does not come from the leadership on the case of the left that is why Conservatives are targeted more for hate speech and violence and stuff like that because organizing violence and doing things with violence and standing with white supremacists is a thing that they decided the last four years where they were going to be okay with and incorporate into their platform. Even if you two are not okay with that,
3: we are very much not okay with that.
2: (laughs) I'm not happy about it either. So we can say Republican base versus Trump voters, whatever. It's like, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. in 2016, the Republican Party changed. Yes. It's a very sad thing for my Absolutely, family. Absolutely, I You guys agree. know the work my dad no, has mine done for too. so long. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sorry it happened. Yeah. I mean, and so we just, we can't say like, oh, those aren't real Republicans until Mitch gets his way. Yes. And Trump is gone. Can't believe this. Ugh, Mitch. Until Mitch gets his way and Trump is gone, it's Trump's party.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Rather unfortunately.
3: I mean, as someone who worked for Romney McCain Ambush, like it breaks my heart because that's the Republican party I want I, I voted for all three of those guys. I want the republican party of of those guys of Reagan. I want classic conservatism, yeah,
0: I do want to talk about the details of section two thirty, which yes. I know Clay put some time into. great. My impression of section two thirty was that very pedestrian here it was just sort of to prevent or to release uh social media companies from liability one example that i was given was that if this and this is a non-political example so it's a good example if you walked into a restaurant and uh you made up a lie that there were roaches on the table or something and then you went to yelp and you wrote that the restaurant could not sue Yelp for defamation. They would have to sue the individual who wrote the review. I always thought that was a good thing because in, in these open platforms, you know, it would just be too hard. The Facebook and Twitter, all these companies would be getting sued left and right. But Trump has a big or the Republicans have a big problem with 230 because they believe it's being used to censor conservative speech. So I think Clay has has more insight onto this. So why don't you tell us what you learned about it?
2: Sure. It's it's interesting just to know why things are the way they are. And it's important to know that it was done in the name of free speech. And I believe strongly that. If you tried to repeal 230 or cut off its legs, you're going to not only you're going to destroy large swaths of the economy, but you're going to undermine it. it, Well, it's not even going to happen like. you, you, You would be on the road to suppressing so much more speech than, you know, Dennis Prager not getting all of his videos all the time like he wants, you know, showing to, showing to everybody.
0: Shapiro has said many times he needs to have Section 230 because it's the only way because, again, and this is a problem on the right, I'm not saying it's not a problem on the left too but when you have comment sections on your website and you have lots of crazy people who are putting in comments that are violent uh, he doesn't want to get sued for that you know, and that's what Section 230 was for. Section
3: 230 I think is definitely one of the most important pieces of internet legislation ever created
2: without a doubt and you know to go back to one of my very favorite people ted cruz you know when he's when he stumps on this stuff you know whether it's google or whoever it is you know he just he just gets it wrong and he says it so loudly and then sean hannity repeats it and it's just false it's just not true is that they the, the right has pitched the immunity of big tech companies as effectively being that they were given immunity on the expectation that they were going to be neutral public forums. In other words, that...
0: Open forums. They
2: are going to be open right. forums, but they're going to be fair and balanced. And that was the intent of the law, and they're not doing that, and so we have to do something about it. That's, and it's that's just, the right-wing argument. It's just, argument. Not, it's just not true. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. not true. And it's a dangerous thing to to rile, to rile people up with that sort of stuff, like he does on his website, because the text of the statute belies that, The legislative history, the argument on the floor of the House at the time belies that. Like it's just not factual, and so this notion that tech companies or you know other to the to the extent such things are you know put to others at various times, the idea that they owe the country some sort of neutral position—that's that's a construct of the consumer. There is absolutely no basis in law for that, and it's important to remember that as we move forward or maybe not because they're not going to actually do anything about this. They're just going to honk and flap and claim bias and not do anything because I'm not sure there's much, I'm not, I'm not, much, not sure there's much they can do.
0: Can I play some devil's advocate for a second here, which I like to do with you occasionally it's your show you can do whatever you want. Right. <laughs> the The argument I've heard, whether it's right or wrong um, is that there's, and we've talked about this on the show, Justin is that um there's a difference between a publisher and a platform. I was just just about to ask about this. open networks or platforms, and the second you start monitoring or um, editing the the material that's going on your supposed open platform, then you turn into a publisher, right? Then you're just like the New York Times. Now, do different
1: rules apply? Different rules and regulations apply to a publisher?
3: Section 230 can't be a publisher. So Section 230 comes from the 1996 Communications Decency Act, for those of you that don't know, and it holds that no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So in other words, 230 has allowed the internet to thrive on user-generated content without holding platforms and ISPs responsible for whatever those users might create.
2: So yeah, the, the point is, it doesn't matter what a dictionary or common usage or whatever thinks a publisher is versus a platform, the statute hath decreed (laughs) that if you are editing your content, you are not a publisher or a speaker. Like So it's, it's not a measure of, oh, well now because they're doing this, they're something different and so we have to take action. That's my point. That's not the statute. That's not what it says. It's so they, they are I mean, it's it's not unlike, you know, it's like the it's like how the NFL is permitted to negotiate their entire seasons of games in one bundle. Normally, that would be a tying, you know, a, a, a tying arrangement and in violation of the antitrust laws, except for in 1961, I want to say, Congress passed an act that essentially said, hey, this is not going to be a violation of the antitrust laws. We are allowing this to happen because the NFL probably paid us enough for whatever it is. And so they, they essentially have an antitrust exemption. And so here they just have they just have an exemption codified in law. But it really goes further than that, showing showing why that viewpoint that you hear from the right is just incorrect. Is that and again the legislative history and the statute itself supports this. Lays it plain, actually, that the entire statute was done for the purpose of having unfettered access to free speech. And part of that was that, to my point earlier, we know one thing for sure. We do not want the government regulating speech at all. One, we inherently know know it's bad. Two, we have the First Amendment and and it ain't allowed. So we know we're not doing that. So what do we do instead? And the purpose was to empower private companies to do self-policing of particular types of content. So let's just look let's look well let's look at a few snippets of some some of the stuff that they're supposed to self-police this will be fun okay so policy it is the policy of the united states and then we've got a bunch but i'm going to skip to the last one to ensure vigorous enforcement of federal criminal laws to deter and punish trafficking in obscenity stalking and harassment by means of computer then we move to the actual statute itself no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy we're in all the porno stuff now, but now we're getting to the crux of our issue today excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable whether or not such material is constitutionally protected so, I think you all get it, but... (laughs) inciting a riot it they're not suddenly a publisher the statute contemplated that if a giant orange man somehow gets to be president and he incites an insurrection on the capitol do something about it (laughs) it's in the flippant statute
1: there's been a lot of of commentary about this it does not change uh their status from platforms to publisher by the fact that they're editing these, uh, these violent, uh, right.
0: Like you can't post naked pictures on Instagram. Yeah. Right. It's a blanket right. so that, that, that's immunity curated. and it's expressly
2: yeah. mm-hmm. contemplated in the text of the statute that people are going to self-police things. And they even gave us a nice example of things they should self-police. So this isn't, this isn't, you know, a revelation. This is 1996.
3: Uh, Matt Rossoff at CNBC wrote a really great article on all of this and one thing that Senator Blumenthal from Connecticut introduced a few years ago was the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act and Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. So it's known as FOSTA and SESTA. And he wrote a really interesting article on that because it actually pokes some holes in Section 230, which are a little bit dangerous, which we can talk about in a second. They deal with all of that like pornography, nudity, prostitution, all those kinds of things. But in his article, he wrote this. They ain't talking about how Trump and his supporters don't like Section 230, and it's because it protects platforms' ability to moderate content without being liable for infringing on speech. So it's what protects something like Twitter, and he wants them to be responsible for for blocking him and deleting his account. And basically, they want to make it harder for platforms to block and remove, like, quote-unquote, problematic content— and the name of censorship, they want that to be completely gone.
2: I'm shocked to learn that Donald Trump doesn't understand the Bill of Rights. But the, the, impor- the important point here is that that entire mindset assumes that only one party of that transaction has freedom of speech rights. Twitter has a right to freedom of speech. And it is a lot, again, it's a lot more dangerous if you're talking about Twitter saying, look, I'm silencing you or usually just banning them until they stop, you know, inciting riots. That is a lot less dangerous than the government saying, you entire company, you have to do business the way we tell you to do business. So we can, we can I think, accept the idea that in both cases, speech is being quote-unquote suppressed. But in one instance, it is so much more far-reaching, so much scarier in the moment, and so much scarier even on the slippery slope thing, to have the government deciding what is allowed and what is not. And really, this is all fun and interesting, but, I mean, we should just make sure we're level-setting here. Like, there ain't nothing Ted Cruz or Donald Trump or anybody can do about this. No one—no, there's there's no case that can be brought. They call they call them—what uh, do they call them? must carry cases. You know, this idea of, like, you must carry my content. It's like, no. No, no, the Supreme Court will never in a million years— force people to speak a certain
0: way. Let's put it succinctly for our audience, what is it exactly that Trump has such a problem with with section two thirty? Because for the for the casual listeners out there, he has been constantly tweeting about how it has to go. What is it you know, he's just tried to block legislation because of it.
3: It gives people the right to censor him. It's what gives Twitter the power to censor him.
2: Okay. That's well, what they don't in, like. in, 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 in an indirect way. Yeah. The in First an Amendment way. gives them the power to censor him, but what it, what it does is that if they didn't have the blanket immunity, then people, and this is what Trump gets wrong, again, surprise, surprise, they'd be held accountable. And if they had a risk of being held accountable, you know, 4 billion times every hour, then they just wouldn't publish the speech at all. And that's what I mean. when I said earlier that if you get rid of 230 or anything like it, like commerce, e-commerce will crash because there, will no be use, or there won't be users on Twitter because every single post is going to have to be checked by some highly paid college grad as opposed to some below minimum wage person in a warehouse in India to make sure that it's okay and that, the, and that, the, that it's okay with the lawyers. The traffic on all of these sites would plummet. Ad revenue would plummet. Business you know, uh, revenue deriving from ads would plummet. Like, it's just, it's not real.
1: Let me ask you a hypothetical. Section 230 doesn't exist. And Donald Trump is kicked off Twitter. And he sues Twitter. Does he have a shot at winning that lawsuit? No. It's a
0: private actor. They
2: can do private. what they want. Because it's a private company.
3: Okay. But see, Clay, this is why I think the whole FOSTA and SESTA legislation is important, because it's the first time in the 22, now what, however many years, history of Section 230 that they've created an exception in 230. They have kind of drilled a hole in it. And I mean, that could be yeah. Well, and the so... only thing
2: I really know about it is what I said earlier. I, I don't know much about it at all. The only things I've read about it are that is that as a result of, well, you know, what? we should back up, explain what the statute does exactly. And then we can talk about how efforts to limit 230 perhaps are misguided.
3: OK, so it all actually started because of Backpage.com, the place you go for all of your sexual illicit needs. I don't know. Backpage.com was known for its sex worker ads, essentially, and Backpage was originally found complicit in obscuring ads for child and sex trafficking. That's how this whole thing started. So Senator Blumenthal co-sponsored this bill after all these advocacy groups came forward and were like, this needs to be better regulated, these people are being harmed, etc. And it was actually, there was a huge social media campaign for it. A lot of celebrities, a lot of PSAs, commercials on network television. It was a really big deal. Basically, what it means is that website publishers would be responsible if third parties are found to be posting ads for something like prostitution. Um, Yes, it does include consensual sex work on their platforms. And the goal was supposed to be that policing the like online prostitution and stuff would be easier. But what it's done instead is created like mass confusions and poked hole in the statue of 230 that no one thought was possible. And it's kind of opened up this Pandora's box. No one's really sure it's gonna happen. It just got passed in 2018. We've been busy with Trump since then. And now with something like the Twitter thing, I think we're gonna see a lot more people talking about it.
2: See, see that's interesting. I I don't I don't agree that it's actually I'm I'm not as concerned about that. I think that when you're talking about something that is the sort of lewd and lascivious act that at least in our you know our ethical moral and legal code we've decided we feel a certain way about, like that's a lot easier to say you need to for the public good get rid of this. It's a lot harder to do that in just your average your average situation involving speech. What I have come to understand about it, which is just... It's troubling, and it does point to one of the potential drawbacks of the position I've been advocating, essentially, which is that sometimes you have to stop the the fire burning before it's 20,000 people at the Capitol next time, is that sex workers have said, like, look, this industry is going to exist anyway. It used to be we could go on Facebook and it would all be out in the open. We've just been driven underground now, and we're a lot less safe. Yeah, that's a libertarian. But that's my libertarian it is an extremely position, extremely yeah.
3: libertarian position. And it's very true because they no longer can have the what they call bad date websites, where if there's a John that, you know, is scary or abusive, they have a list of all these guys. The irony of FOSTA and SESTA is that the FBI has found more children, sex rings, etc., cetera, from the Internet, from these ads than they can find in person. So by passing them it's all like,
2: gone underground.
3: Um, yeah, and, and it's being pushed to the dark web. It's being I mean, it's terrible no matter what, but at least this way they were able to like, with technological forensics. It's like
0: prohibition.
3: Trace this stuff. Exactly. So, again, it just kinda proves your point, Clay, that is not good.
2: Well and and this is the thing. And and again, I my my oft used and perhaps overused sort of construct in looking at things is just that life is a cost benefit analysis. And the same thing that has happened as a result of uh, FOSTA and SESTA is that if you apply that to our current situation, like if you, like me, uh, are worried in this particular like window, <laughs> if you are worried in this particular <laughs> window of a greater, more organized, more deadly insurrection happening one day. On the one hand, you think, "Well, don't you want that planned out in the open so that you can better track it?" But on the other hand something as giant as facebook twitter and all these stuff like even if it goes underground you are limiting you're limiting the reach it's interesting thought though but yeah. you're limiting the my, my, my view the way i come out on it is that you're so limiting the reach by not letting it happen on twitter and facebook that you it, it, so it says even even if they can find it the group that finds it is going to be exponentially smaller at least that's the way i think of it
0: I think we all agree here. The standards have to be enforced more equally everywhere. The fact that Vladimir Putin has a Twitter and, uh, you know, he's a murderer rubs me the wrong way.
2: See, again, that's, it's, it's the, maybe it rubs you the wrong way, but that's not a good example. Okay. Putin has never taken to Twitter, I, to my knowledge, Putin has never taken to Twitter to inspire violence. What
3: about the United States Embassy to China, right? So did you, I don't know if you guys saw this, but the United States Embassy to China Last week, they posted a tweet saying the sterilization of this minority people group, they've been known for...
0: The Uyghurs? Yeah, the, the Uyghurs. Yes.
3: They, they're like applauding what a great job they did and how much, you know, freer and oh, I, more... I, I
0: saw that story. That was like a Breitbart story. Yeah, no, no, listen, <laughs> you're not going to...
2: Of course. But that's
3: horrible. And that's uh, an American... Of course, no, no. But, sure, but
2: surely you're not arguing that, that Twitter hates conservatives so much that they'd rather ban Donald Trump and support the Uyghurs. I mean, isn't it, isn't it more likely that that's just breakage than it is that they have an agenda to support the genocide of Uyghurs because they just hate American conservatives so much?
3: I'm not saying they have an agenda at all. No,
2: it's
1: just it, it's about enforcement. It's about enforcement of, of yeah, the that's standard. A, I'm, I wasn't saying yeah, anybody yeah.
3: had an agenda. I'm saying yeah. that the standard is not being enforced, whether it's Putin or whether it's an American embassy yep. for another country. That is saying, hey, look how great this is. We forcibly sterilized all these women.
2: Yeah, but, but what I'm saying is that that's more akin to finding someone's hair in your Big Mac. But I'm saying that's just that's just breakage. That's just error. I, but we can all
0: agree. Can all four of us agree that they all the social media companies have to do a better job of policing their shit. I mean, they, they have to, it has to be Absolutely. applied yeah. equally everywhere or these issues are going to keep yeah. coming yeah. up, you know, for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it would serve it would serve everyone better if it was uh, if it was enforced the most equally and most consistently. But I actually I don't view that that's not a speech issue to me or a censorship issue to me. Like the the, the thing that makes me the most squeamish about all this, and, and again, it just has nothing to do with free speech of the First Amendment. Is that I mean, I'm just I'm wary of any person, organization, institution, company, etc. that amasses overwhelming power. And for the reasons we've talked about here, they have overwhelming power. Again, it's their right to have done so, subject to the antitrust laws, but you you end up with a situation where there there's a threat to diversity of thought if the machines get out of control and aren't checked.
3: It's an oligarchy. You know, yeah,
2: I mean, it, it's... And so my, my, my point in all of this is just that while we should be wary of it, I am I am not yet worried that we're all going to be left leftists in 20 years because we've been brainwashed like and i do, and i don't think that we're at as big a risk in america with our tradition of free speech than um than some other countries are like there's a lot of ways to express conservative thought now i'm back on now i'm back on tiffany and justin's team here there's a lot of ways to express conservative thought without Inciting armed insurrections on our Capitol building, right, and
0: including by the president, who could have gone for all the the moaning about him being kicked off of his favorite platform. He has the 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 ability to go on TV anytime he wants and do
2: and say whatever the hell he wants, right? And I, you know, it, it, I think I, I th- well, and, and this is why I got so bothered, Robin. We've been talking this week, and you know, is is that this notion of people are being banned because they're conservatives? Like this is Ted Cruz's favorite thing to do, and you just. You, you just don't have the evidence of it. You can be a conservative on Twitter. You can you can go on to Twitter and say, you know, doctors that kill babies should be punished to the full extent of the law. You cannot go on and say doctors that kill babies should be killed themselves. And it go- it
0: also goes back to um, something your brother, Clay, uh, said in our episode 10 um, of, of the Down the Middle pod, which is when we talked about indoctrination in academia. And what Mark, Clay's brother, had to say about that was the idea of indoctrinating anyone in today's society with our access to information is nearly impossible because we have such free flow of information everywhere. It's sort of the same principle with this.
1: Well, if it, rem- if it remains, if it remains that you can go on Twitter and you can find diversity of thought, then yes, I'll agree with that. But if you can't, then right. we have a problem. And the truth
0: is, we probably had this conversation two months too early. Let's. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about antitrust, right,
2: Clay? Well, you're, here, here's my pitch for it, is that politically, it's something that has been bungled really badly. And it speaks to a couple of issues here. One, we've been talking about how the First Amendment isn't really what we should be focusing on here in terms of what can we do to limit the power of these social media companies. The only thing that can really be done in terms of government action is regulation through the antitrust laws. And so I thought it would be useful to at least talk a little bit about the state of that effort, why it hasn't gotten off the ground, or perhaps who is resisting getting it off the ground. And what that says about the whole debate we've been having about Republicans and conservatives versus Democrats and lefties? Because there's an underpinning in this discussion, of this discussion, just based on the current political positions and the fact that the president that was banned was Republican. uh, Of this idea that Democrats are somehow, you know, trying to protect big tech or something like that, or Democrats love big tech, or you know, and that's just not that's not what's happening here. If you think of it this way, you know. Trump just had four years in power, during which time he was in control of the DOJ. Two years in which he controlled both houses of Congress. They did next to nothing about this problem, despite the fact that Democrats would absolutely go along with heavier regulation of the big tech companies, and historically, it's been Democrats who want to use the antitrust laws more proactively, and Republicans being pro-business typically do not. But nobody likes no no nobody in big in, in washington likes big tech no one in washington is urging restraint on using the power they have to break them up yeah zuckerberg's the most hated person in the world yeah. he really is and the only yeah. the only thing that the only step that's been taken and it's it's a it's not a trivial step but i just think the the outcome of it i think speaks volumes about all of this and and how seriously how seriously we should take the idea that um that Silicon Valley is a bunch of lefties and and they're they're out to get conservatives and conservatives are are being discriminated against. They had hearings in the fall, which ended a 15th month investigation into the big four. So we get to the end of this 15th month investigation and all of these hearings and predictably the entire time the likes of Jim Jordan and Ted Cruz are not focused at all on anti-competitive conduct. They're completely just focused on these people are censoring, you know, Republicans because they're conservative So the Democrats, you know, put their report together, and it's a report recommending breaking up the monopolies, going hard after big tech, unleashing the horses of the DOJ to do something about the power of Silicon Valley. And remember, the only reason we're even having this discussion about speech and public forms and is it a utility and all this stuff is because of the monopolistic power that these companies have. It's the only reason. If if Facebook was one of 30 social media companies and they did this, no one would give a because there's 29 others. The power they've amassed is the only reason that this even made a podcast called The Big Stuff. And so we get to the end. And the report was not put out on uh, in a bipartisan fashion. The reason being that the oppressed Republicans refused to go along with it. <laughs> they couldn't go along with it for two primary reasons. One, because they didn't think there was enough complaining about uh, you know, conservative censorship in it, which, as we've talked about, they have no remedy for that. So I think that's just sort of trying to score political points. But the main reason is the same reason why Republicans historically don't want to use the antitrust laws too proactively either is because it's bad for business. I mean, you, you, you if you go after tech giants, you're going to hamper businesses and impede economic growth in a variety of ways. If we have sweeping regulations. You drive down tons of e-commerce. You drive down ad revenue, and it's why, in part, I think, you know, I don't, I don't, pres- I don't presume that all of the big tech guys are acting in in good faith, out of the goodness of their hearts. They're trying to keep Elizabeth Warren off of their asses, you know. And so you look at a situation like that, and you say to yourself, okay, it's not a free speech First Amendment issue. This is your remedy, and the Republicans file a report disagreeing with all of the aggressive, proactive steps that would solve their quote-unquote problem for them. So I say this just to say, and to put the challenge to you all, that this problem is not real. It's not actually something that's happening and that politicians are trying to do something about, because they've got one remedy and they're not taking it. And so it just makes me question how seriously we should take...
1: Right, it's a talking point for media. When when given actual remedies, they haven't taken... The steps necessary to fix anything
2: exactly and that just makes me put put the question how seriously should we take cries of, con- of conservative censorship how much of it is really just politics and trying to get get put something out into the universe for right-wingers to be mad about versus actually solving a problem
1: yeah and it look if we do see uh, a point in which that changes it would be now. I-, I agree with Rob. We're probably a little bit late, uh, a little bit early in doing this because what's going to happen next is going to either agree with or disagree with what you just right. said.
2: Mm-hmm. And by the way, I should say that ultimately Barr's DOGA did bring suit against Google. And that's going to be really interesting.
3: In a democratic controlled government, there's nothing to stop them at this point that's been stopping them for the last four years. So I'm really curious to see where this goes and if they bring back all this antitrust law and and do something about it.
0: There was nothing stopping the Republicans for two years they had with Trump.
3: Except themselves.
0: All right. That about wraps it up
1: for our first episode of The Big Stuff. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into this issue. Tiff, tell our listeners where they can follow you if they so desire.
3: At Tiffany Marie Brannon on Instagram, and that's pretty much the only place I have a public account.
1: All right. Well, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our weekly podcast, Down the Middle, a political podcast. And stay tuned to the Down the Middle socials for when this episode and next episodes will air. And from Rob, Clay, and myself, don't forget to sweat the big stuff. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye.
2: the big stuff.